Hello ladies and gentlemen, my name is Karin Kavins and I wish you a warm welcome at 48 Minutes Unplugged. In this podcast we interview leaders who we think are inspiring. We rapid fire questions at them to discover what makes them stand out. Because we believe the world today more than ever needs inspiring leaders. Leaders who are good at what they do, but stand out in the way they do it. Who are able to keep focus in a rapidly changing world and have an impact that reaches further. To truly unplug from busy and tune in into here and now, we invite our guests to do a breathing exercise with us. We intentionally do not disclose the questions in advance because we would like to get intuitive and heartfelt answers. We want you to really get to know the person behind the title. The questions have no logical order and that at times might feel a bit uneasy. After 48 minutes exactly, you will hear a tone, which means the interview will come to an end, no matter how exciting the content is at that moment. All our episodes can be accessed via Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And do check out our website www.48hoursunplugged.com to stay up to date of our upcoming leadership retreats and other activities. Welcome to this 12th episode of the 48 Minutes podcast. Up till now, we've mostly had conversations with seasoned business leaders. However, we do believe there's an interest in having a more diverse group of leaders in this podcast. So that's why I'm very happy to have Raisa De Haas today as our guest. Her name might not ring a bell, however, when I say she's one of the Dutch twin sisters behind Double Dutch, the immensely popular premium maker brand, this might clarify things. Both sisters studied economics at the University of Antwerp, where they regularly threw parties for friends. Frustrated by the low excitement level and quality of the usual mixers that go along with spirits like gin, they started making their own mixers. A hobby became a passion and a few years later, after graduating at UCL in London, they launched Double Dutch, a company that makes premium mixers and tonics. In 2015, they won Virgin's Foodpreneur Award and in 2019, The twins were recognized on Forbes 30 under 30 Europe list. In the meantime, Double Dutch sells over 1 million bottles per month and are available in 26 countries. Earlier this year, Dutch beer giant Heineken took a minority share in the sisters' company. I don't know Raisa personally, but I'm hugely impressed by what she and her sister have accomplished at such a young age. And as always, I'm very curious to get to know the person behind this young, successful entrepreneur. Welcome, Raisa. Hello. How are you, Raisa, today? I'm very well. (laughs) How are you? Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm I'm doing good. Um, Raisa, I'm not sure you like this question. I I think a lot of people will ask it, but I'm still going to ask it. How old are you? 29. 29, so you're still under 30. Um, You have, if I'm not mistaken, you have Dutch roots, grew up in Belgium and are now living in London. Yes. What brought you to London? Um, So I was born in the Netherlands, but grew up most of my life in Antwerp, in Belgium. Um, And I decided to move to London about seven years ago to study a one-year extra master. Um, and then mm-hmm. stayed here. So I've been in London now for seven years. 
Okay. And is there a specific reason why you launched your business there or is it just because you happen to live there? Uh, no, well, when I came here, um, so I did a one uh, extra master in tech entrepreneurship uh, here at UCL in London. And I actually wrote my dissertation mm -hmm. about the whole gin and tonic hype and the fact that spirits were massively booming, but choice of tonic waters was kind of lagging behind. Uh, did a year of marketing mm -hmm. research about that and then graduated um, uh, with that as my uh, dissertation topic with a new type of mixer. And at graduation, I received the prize from our university for best thesis of the year. And with that, they basically oh, wow. gave us our, our initial investments. So they said, we'll fund your first production if you want to start Double Dutch here in the UK. Um, so then we just thought, why not? We'll give it a try and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so um, as said in the introduction, you won some big awards. You're in the Forbes 30 under 30. You have a very uh, impressive track record with Double Dutch. So many people would consider you as successful. Do you actually feel successful? Um, I think that's very relative. <laughs> uh, I think we still have a very long uh, road to go. Um, but we've been quite lucky that we have had um, some good successes over the past few years. But there's still a very, very long um, road ahead, ahead of us. Yeah. Can you describe maybe what for you success means, if you uh, think about it? Um, I think there's kind of the uh, vanity successes, like, for example, Forbes 30 under 30 or winning awards that give you accolades. I think that's um, it's really nice to get, but it doesn't really give you anything. <laughs> I think successes is more... Um, if you read, I think for us, for example, our big successes are like the milestones, like for example, selling a million bottles a month, uh, going to selling uh, 10, million, 10 million bottles a month. And I think um, for us, we look at success more kind of from a revenue point of view. Um, yeah, I, but I think it's important to also celebrate the small successes like getting a new uh, listing in a supermarket or, for example, a new bar or um, getting a new team member on board. And I think it's about celebrating the smaller successes as well as the bigger ones. Mm -hmm. Do you feel you take enough time to celebrate those smaller successes? Because I often hear from young uh, entrepreneurs that they, they always go, go, go. Um, do, you, do you deliberately take time for that or...? No, we are quite bad at it, actually. <laughs> um, we should definitely be celebrating more of our successes, um, but we do forget it, forget it uh, about it a lot. Um, but we've said this year that we really try, we're going to try and make more time for it. Mm -hmm. Okay, good idea. <laughs> um, do you still, you're now at the head of... Uh, a very fast-growing uh, mixer company, but do you still remember what you wanted to become uh, professionally when you were a child? Um, cool. uh, I think I never really knew exactly what I wanted to be. I changed a lot. I 
when I was really young, I always wanted to be a postman. <laughs> um, and then kind of like it changed every few months. I wanted to be like police officer and very random jobs, actually. <laughs> Sounds like a bit of a masculine job you like to do. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you are, uh, I can see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we can say, we can agree that you're rather a young entrepreneur. And I'm sure um, many people must have given you a lot of advice. But what's the worst advice you've ever received? Um, I don't think there's really, there is bad advice. I think getting advice is about, um, just getting someone else's opinion. I think, um, it's difficult if you ask too much advice, it's really difficult. Uh, you can't please everyone and you can't really, everyone has a different opinion. So I think with asking advice, um, you just still need to uh, uh, follow your own gut and your own kind of uh, in, uh, thoughts. Um, I can't really name the baddest advice, uh, but I do think that being a young uh, founder of a company, we did have many people who are so willing to help and advise and mentor and share their experiences. Um, so I do think that's been really helpful overall. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you would still uh, say uh, it's, it's, it's important indeed to uh, receive the advice as a gift and then still make your own decisions. Is there any really good advice you've received, like something you remember that, that was really helpful? Um, I think uh, that people buy from people and you need to network and uh, I think we so we had a mentor in the beginning and he said it's so important to just go out and go for dinner and lunches with customers and clients and even like lots of the networking events and even if it feels kind of it's draining to go out every night and there are so many events or um social activities where nothing really comes out of it but you just need to meet one person that can really help you to the next step and i think that's been so mm -hmm. true for us we've had we we do lots of the networking events and lots of kind of networking um, ourselves. Yeah. I think that's definitely helped us uh, build Double Dutch. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it difficult for you? I can imagine as with uh, a company that's booming like Double Dutch, is it difficult for you to, to stay balanced? Uh, do you mean like work-life balance or? Yeah, yeah. Do you? I I, um, I can imagine there's a, a trap of uh, working too much or or being uh, soaked uh, in the work. I, I think we definitely don't really have a work-life balance. <laughs> I think on the one hand side because I started Double Dutch with my twin sister and we are super close. I, also outside of work, we have lots of the same friends and uh, we enjoy the same things. So I think because we are so close and do lots of things in our social life together, we don't really separate work from social, but also because we are in quite a sociable industry and lots of our 
um, not work, but kind of the networking and the social part of our business is going out and drinking gin and tonics. So I think that's yeah. also kind of a blurry line. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I definitely don't do work-life balance well. <laughs> yeah. And but how do you make sure that you manage your energy? If that's maybe, uh, if you feel um, like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it's um, important to set goals. And I think I've never, we've never really been uh, afraid or let down from mistakes. I think it's all about trial and error. And if something goes ra- wrong, you just need to get up again and go to the next, uh, mm-hmm. to the next kind of uh, thing. And I think having a co-founder definitely helps because the ups are so much upper and so much better and you can celebrate together, but the downs are not as down as if you were alone. I think it's very rarely that we are both kind of in a down position. We There's always one of us that is kind of in a more optimistic way or looking at it from a different angle. Um, so I think we definitely, I think with a co-founder, it's easier to give each other uh kind of the extra energy uh that you need yeah so you what you say is that actually you you lift each other up when whenever the other uh, person is a bit and how do you how do you deal with pressure um do you uh, to start with do you feel uh, a lot of pressure or how do you deal with it I used to feel a lot of pressure, but I think over the years or actually the last year or something, um, I've been kind of better at managing it. I think uh, I used to like have so many sleepless nights, but now not really anymore. Even there's a massive crisis, for example, but I think it's all about kind of accepting and the only person you really you kind of need to prove your to yourself there's no one else that um i mean i just kind of i don't know i just made peace with it um and i don't really feel so much pressure anymore because i think it's uh it's more of a burden on yourself and it's it makes you less effective and it makes you less good at what you do um so I just i just try to let go of all kind of bad vibes and pressures <laughs> it's a very wise uh, thing to say i think uh, at a young age um i've met many uh, much more senior entrepreneurs that still have a very hard time of uh, accepting things and letting go so i think that's uh, it's nice and good for you that you you got this uh, at a young age so uh as said you you launched this uh business with your twin sister i've always had a huge fascination for twins can you kind of describe what it is to be uh, a twin or part of a twin (laughs) um i think it's um we are as twins really really uh super close i think with twins either they are very different and not really getting along or they get along extremely well. So we definitely sit in the uh, last part. Um, I think for us, we also don't, we don't have any other siblings. So we mm-hmm. kind of grew up 
doing everything together from such a young age. And I think having a company together works really well because we 100% trust each other. Um, but yeah. also, for example, in discussions, we don't need to tiptoe. We can just say how it is if we have a discussion or you hurt each other's feelings maybe a little bit. It's fine. We move on. We make a fight and make up again. Um, and I think that helps, definitely. Um, but I love being a twin. I think there's always someone there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, what do you like the most about uh, what you do today? Sorry? What gives you the most energy? Um, I think uh, having a physical product, I think, is really satisfying. I think, for example, going out to a bar uh, and seeing other people uh, use your pro drink your products or being, for example, on holiday in a random hotel and then all of a sudden there's double dutch on the menu. I think those kind of small things are so satisfying. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's the, definitely the best uh, part of it. Uh, and what do you find the most difficult about uh, running a company? Um, <laughs> so much. <laughs> uh, I think us definitely um, managing a team Probably because we never worked um, for a boss because we started straight out of university. So we yeah. definitely um, have struggled and are struggling kind of the whole management piece, but also how uh, culturally, culturally the environment should look like. Um, it, it also smaller things like, for example, interview processes um i think that's yeah. definitely the biggest kind of struggle that we had from the start so, yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> and and how big is the team uh, today uh we are with 20 in the office yeah it's uh quite a lot of people to manage <laughs> raisa uh do you have a guilty pleasure <laughs> um apart from lots of gin and tonics um <laughs> Just going out and having lots of gin and tonics. <laughs> okay. It's nice to have uh, your job linked so much to your guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, what's uh, the most crazy thing you've ever experienced? Um, oh, in what kind of environment? Mm, any. Whatever you want to share. Um... Oh, uh, meeting the queen and pouring her gin and tonic in Buckingham Palace. Whoa, can you elaborate uh, on that story? Because uh, I think that needs some uh, clarification how you got there. Uh, um, they just invited uh, lots of uh, kind of entrepreneurs here in London. And then uh, we started supplying tonics to uh, Buckingham Palace a, a, a few years before, but we never really went in ourselves. We just supplied stock. And then they invited us for an event um, for us to pour the tonics at the event. And then we had like a little, um, like a three minute one-to-one -one with the queen, which was very nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's uh, pretty impressive. Um, <laughs> 
when was um when was actually the first time you felt that uh whatever what started as as a hobby and then uh, you did your dissertation when when do you really felt that it was becoming bigger than you actually expected uh i think when we when i graduated and our university kind of said if you want to do this for real then we'll we will fund your first production. I think that was kind of the first time that someone said we really believe in it and and will yeah. help you get started. So I think that definitely was kind of the breaking point of just doing it for fun mm -hmm. versus let's just really try and make a business out of it. Yeah. And what were other milestones that you remember that you said, wow, that was really, we never, we never actually thought we would get there. Uh, I think, for example, the Richard Branson giving us a Foodpreneur Award was amazing, uh, which was only six months after we launched. So that was wow. really quickly in our um, in our journey. And I think that gave us lots of press and kind of gave us lots of credibility as well. And I think lots of people, while we were still super small, I think lots of people thought that we were much bigger than we were, which kind of helped us getting the bigger customers. I think that definitely kind of was like a viscous circle that really helped us getting to the next stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Um, what are your wildest dreams with uh, Double Touch? <laughs> um, world domination. <laughs> I think um, for us, we really, we started very much focused on being in a super premium segment with all the uh, premium restaurants, bars, hotels, uh, in the nicer supermarkets, but not really mainstream. And I think for us, the next five years are definitely to make Double Dice more of a household name and bring it more into kind of slightly more mainstream, still stay premium, um, but just make it more widely available also in supermarkets and in kind of um in the uh, general pub and kind of more mainstream outlets yeah yeah uh and is that because that's the only way to grow or what's the the idea behind that uh definitely it's also to grow but also i think um i just really want it to be more of a household name name and for people to really know double dutch i think consumer yeah. awareness we are um there is still a lo long way to go. I think we are at about 20% uh, consumer awareness in the UK, while with trade, it's about 80% or something. So I think there's still such a big gap for us uh, to grow our consumer presence. And um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And how, how are you actually performing uh, in the Netherlands? That would be interesting. To, uh, to know. Uh, in the Netherlands, we are actually more um, retail than we are um, selling to bars and restaurants. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting. Um, it's doing okay in the Netherlands, but definitely could be a lot better. Um, yeah. But we just um, did a partnership with the Heineken family. So yeah. uh, hopefully in the future, uh, they will be able to help us uh, in the Netherlands. Yeah. And help us go there. Yeah, I I also believe that's a really good uh, step to uh, go further there. Um, have you? We are now um, 
I'm not sure about the UK, uh, but in Belgium, we're at the end of the tail of the uh, COVID crisis. Um, mm -hmm. I guess you are kind of uh, on the same track. How have you experienced uh, this period uh, personally and how have you experienced it professionally? Uh, I think so I think the UK is about three weeks behind of Belgium. So our restaurants and bars are now mm -hmm. next week going to open. Um, I think for, uh, for me personally, mm -hmm. how I experienced the crisis, I actually maybe secretly enjoyed it a little bit. Uh, I think it, I've never had such a kind of slowdown of, of, and so much time for myself and having kind of the time to start. I started running, um, I started cooking. I think that's something that I haven't done in, in since starting Double Dutch in, in six, five or six years. I think it was quite... Maybe on the one hand side, um, quite relaxing actually, and then it de definitely gave me gave me time to calm down and uh, reflect on on life more. <laughs> uh, and I yeah. think uh, professionally, um, when the lockdown started, we thought it was going to be incredibly uh, bad for business because yeah. most of our revenues came from Western Spars Hotels and with them sh uh, shutting worldwide, we thought it was going to be terrible. But in hindsight, yeah. it's all quite okay, actually, because uh, the supermarket and online business has massively grown and picked a lot of those volumes up. So I think all in all, it's fine. Um, and we've managed to also do some some create new kind of strategy and planning um, for when we get out of this lockdown again. So business-wise, it's fine. Okay, yeah. So you, you managed pretty well. Um, is there anything that you uh, you will do differently afterwards? There's a lot of people talking about uh, things they have realized or is there things that you will do differently? Um, Definitely. I think for us as a focus, we realize that digital and online is so massive and that we should have been putting a lot more focus on it uh, for a lo much longer time. But I think that definitely this crisis made us realize that we need to put our efforts in digital and online sales and in retail. Um, yeah. So that's definitely kind of a new angle for us. I think in terms of teams, I think we uh, were looking for a new office just when uh, COVID happened, end of March. Uh, I think the whole office working is going to be very different. I think people realized that doing Zoom meetings is as efficient. You don't need to do uh, the commute or travel. Um, it's often a lot quicker. So I still think that personal meetings and personal contact, it's super important for uh, relationship development. But yeah. for just kind of information exchange, um, I think Zoom meetings or, or any kind of online video callings are going to be just the next way forward. So I don't think that every that people will go back uh, to full-time office work. I think it will be a lot more flexible and um, part-time working from home, part-time working from offices and, and doing meetings. But I think that's definitely uh, going to be a big change for our team as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you're, you, you said you have this team of 20 people. Um, 
how would you describe the the culture uh, at Double Touch to people who wouldn't know? Uh... Uh, I think that we have kind of good, uh, happy culture. I think there's lots of kind of um, very much kind of a team uh, culture. We do like lots of, uh, for example, like tonic Thursdays and, and kind of lots of uh, activities together. I think we have, we give, everyone has lots of responsibilities and autonomy for their own, even if it's kind of the junior levels, they make their own decisions in uh, most parts of, of, um, of their, of their work. Um, and I think everyone's kind of, it's quite a horizontal hierarchy ish. Okay. Um, what did you learn yourself in the past years about, uh, being a good leader? What are the things you learned? Um, <laughs> I already said that I struggle with team. <laughs> um, I think we, uh, I think it's important to recognize where, what you do well and what you don't do well. And, um, for example, in what I've learned about being a good leader is that, um, we hired, uh, someone who's looking after HR and looking after our team. Um, because we just, we are not so well at it. So having someone there and just hiring better, better, um, better skills than you have yourself is important. Uh, and you yeah. can do anything yourself, everything yourself anyway. So just it's the most important thing is to have good people around you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. So uh, make sure that you complement uh, for the skills you don't possess yourself. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, we also discussed about it. Two young uh, female entrepreneurs in probably a very white male-dominated uh, sector or industry. Um, I can imagine you must deal with a lot of prejudices. Um, is there any examples that come to mind where, yeah, you felt like um, there was prejudices on, on, on that? Yeah, I think uh, the drinks industry is definitely super male dominated. Um, and there's obviously, um, I think, for example, uh, raising money as uh Women is a lot more difficult. I think only 8%, like data says that only 8% of all the raised capital uh, goes to female founders. I think um, in just kind of general life, I think often maybe we get, we don't really get taken as serious as maybe kind of male colleagues. But on the other hand, yeah. I really, really think that it is how you look against it. I think if you think about it from a negative point of view, then it's always going to be a disappointment and it's always going to be a disadvantage. And I think I really look at it from a kind of more positive outlook. I think there are lots of um, efforts going on to uh, increase, uh, to help female founders, specifically in the beverage industry, but in any kind of industry. I think there are so many female founder initiatives. But also I think, for example, on the sales side being... Um, a woman and be and kind of on everything mm -hmm. that we are a woman in the male industry. I do think that we are more recognizable and more memorable 
then compare if the, if a bar has uh, if you're meeting 10 guys in a suit and then you're meeting me and my sister were female founders with twins i do think that we maybe have an advantage that we are more memorable um so i do think it's all about looking at it from the more positive side and kind of just embracing it and i think we everyone is doing there are so many um efforts we are also uh, starting, we started a female bartender program where we are helping female bartenders, and I think everyone is doing their own small kind of piece of help to to help the whole um, community. So I should, I think it's all positive, and we're all it's it's getting better. Um, so yeah. Okay, um, Raisa, what what drives you? Have you? ever thought about that um what drives me um yeah i'm quite competitive so um just doing better um i set myself and our company quite a lot of goals and targets um and i think that's those those targets kind of drive me mostly <laughs> yeah, nice um do you have any secret hidden talents <laughs> um i used to make my own clothes <laughs> oh wow very uh very diy <laughs> yeah indeed <laughs> own sonics own clothes um or any, um, do you have any talent that you don't have, uh, but which you would love to have? Um, the kind of real proper skill of um, cocktail making. Um, okay. Yeah, I think that's very cool, but can't do it. <laughs> When do you feel mostly alive? Uh, at a bar. <laughs> at the bar. Okay, cool. Raisa, um, last one of the previous episodes, um, I discussed uh, with um, Roland Slot, who's uh, also a Dutch guy, actually, um, former uh, founder of Aberkeen, a leadership company that he founded together with McKinsey. And he talks a lot about servant leadership, um, where actually what he means is uh, using your role as a leader uh, to make the world a better place uh, yeah. on top of your day-to-day -day, uh, responsibilities. Yeah. Is that something you, you ever uh, reflect upon? Definitely. I think that's so true. Uh, and I think it's quite important that everyone kind of thinks about it like that. And I think we all have, I mean, everyone kind of has a important role to fulfill in that. And I think if everyone would do a small little thing, it the world would be a better place. Um, so I think I briefly spoke about the uh, female bartender program that we're sponsoring and that we're, we are setting up mentorships and um, courses and, paying for trainings for female bartenders. And I think that's only a small thing, but I think it's just if loads of companies would support 
they're kind of um, uh, what they stand for, what they find important. I think the world would be a better place and um, the whole sustainability piece is very important for us as well. We are trying not to, uh, we are trying to, for example, remove all plastic in our business because I, me personally, I'm just very passionate about the whole kind of ocean cleaning and everything, but there's not so many as a small startup and um, we, there's not so many things we can do, but I think I uh, hopefully in the next coming years, we can do more, uh, but everything we can, we try to uh, kind of do more responsibly and with a kind of bigger picture in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Um, when, at what age did you drink your first uh, gin tonic? <laughs> um, I think, oh, this is difficult. I think probably 16 or something. Yeah. And and what's your all-time favorite um, alcoholic drink? Uh, or pomegranate and basil with uh, herbal gin. Nice, nice. Um, what type of leader do you think you are or do you aspire to be? Because, of course, there's many ways you can fulfill your your role. How do you think you... You are at your best. Um, oh, that's quite difficult. What What do you mean? I, um, yeah, for instance, uh, some people, they say they want to focus a lot on helping, coaching people, helping people grow. Some people, they, uh, they focus a lot on um, being very good at... Uh, technical or knowledge part some people are yeah how do you want to fulfill your role what would be the best uh, contribution of of your unique qualities to uh to the company um i think um definitely more kind of uh supporting coaching uh role um with quite a lot of um autonomy for the team um and kind of uh, definitely quite relaxed um yeah yeah so a bit of uh independence which you support yeah definitely um like a true servant leader (laughs) (laughs) um what is your biggest fear? Um, <laughs> uh, that something goes wrong with Double Edge. Okay, and, and have you had nightmares about that? Uh, I think that's definitely kind of the uh, stress and um, uh, that we talked about before. I think you need to get over it. Um, so no, not not so much. Okay. <laughs> um, Reza, I can imagine a lot of people want a lot of things from you. How do you decide on what you do and what you don't do? Um, I think we. I I think uh, I kind of look at 
when I needed help and whatever, uh, that we always got so much support. So um, I find it very difficult to say no, actually. <laughs> so I always kind of mostly um, say yes to most things. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you ended up in this podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and then um, maybe a last question. Um, what would you like to say to all the young people out there who doubt whether or not they should become entrepreneurs? Uh, I think... The younger you are, uh, the less risk it is to quit your job and try and start your own thing. I think the longer you wait, it's going to be more risk. Uh, it's going to be more difficult to give up that really steady higher salary. If you start young, your salary isn't as, as high yet. You don't have so much to lose yet. So I think the younger, the better. Um, and if you start, I would, I would always kind of recommend to just get out and uh, I think lots of people wait quite a long time uh, for their product or service or whatever it is they want to launch uh, for it to launch until it is perfect until their product is completely finished until their service is entirely 100% on point but I think it's important to not waste too much time on final details we launched with a product where we knew our uh, recipes weren't entirely right we didn't 100% loved our product but we thought it's kind of 90% there the same on our labels we hated our lab labels but we just needed to get out because London living is very expensive um, yeah. but I'm glad that we did because we launched with a product that wasn't finished and we got real customer feedback because of that and our customers said you need to make your flavors sweeter you need to make it more sour more acidity whatever uh your labels need to include your story it needs to have more color uh your crown cap needs to have whatever because in a fridge uh as a bartender otherwise you can't see it just things that we never thought about uh while we were developing yeah. so i think it's important to not waste too much time perfectionizing your uh product or service it's important to go out be open for feedback and change it along the way to what your customers want rather than what you think they want um so yeah, yeah just go out okay uh Raisa, this was uh, the end of the of our conversation i would like to really thank you uh for your open and honest answers Um, and I wish you all the best uh, in the future uh, with Double Dutch. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening and see you next time. But before you head off, if you haven't heard our previous episodes yet, then I strongly recommend you to check them out. You can find them on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. Also, do check out our website www.48hoursunplugged.com and stay up to date on all our upcoming leadership retreats and other activities. Together, let's bring more inspiring leaders into this world. Have a lovely day.